let us go before the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we come before your throne again this morning to worship you and to worship your Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who revealed you to us and who also has revealed himself to us, who also has been revealed to us by your Holy Spirit. And Lord, we thank you and worship you for this time that you have allowed us to come, that we may talk about heavenly things, about spiritual things, about things that concern your Son, about things that concern our relationship with you, about things that concern salvation and judgment and the exaltation of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. For Lord, many people do not know that you have determined to have your son honored as you yourself is honored. No, Lord, I will pray that Christ will be exalted from the teaching of his word and that Christ will be exalted by those who are in his presence. And Lord, it is our hope and joy to be among those who are called the righteous in Christ, the ones who shall sit at the table with the Lord. So now, Lord, we pray for understanding. We pray that you teach your people that they may hear the voice of the Son of God and hearing that they may believe and believe that they may have life and having life that they may be resurrected to the resurrection of life. We pray and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. We're in John 5, John 5, 25 to 32, but we won't talk much about 31 and 32. We just kind of glaze over it today and we'll pick it up next week when the Lord begins to talk about witness that he has the father as his witness and he's going to bring John the Baptist for the last time in this book of John. But we have here in John 5 the Lord making some very, very significant and very important statements that no man could ever know without him declaring those things to us. There's no way that any man, by their own wisdom, education, or learning, could ever come to an understanding of the words that the Lord is going to share with us in this part of John, or has already shared with us in this book of John. These are things of revelation. The Lord is bringing to us knowledge and understanding that cannot be provided by one who is just born of a woman. The Lord here is making a declaration of his person as God because he is saying things that if I would hear Brother Robert say, I would say he is insane. He has lost it. But he comes and he tells us about himself and his relationship with the Father. And this coming from what had happened on the Sabbath. The Jews were not happy 
that this man who is a habitual Sabbath breaker was continuing to tell people to do things that are unlawful to do on the Sabbath. And the Lord takes the opportunity. It's not like the, it's something that just happened and then the Lord was like, oh, wow, I didn't know these guys would do this. Now let me take advantage of this. Everything that is happening is happening exactly by the Lord's determination. The Jews are arguing the way that they are arguing because it's the Lord who is making them to argue that way, that he may teach them the truth about himself. So we're going to hear the Lord here claiming again that he is God. And also he is going to tell us about soteriology, that is how men get saved. And he is going to tell us about eschatology, that is he is going to tell us about the judgment to life and death and what is going to happen. And he says, I am the one who is going to be doing all that. So let's go to John 5, verses 25 to 32. This is what he says, verse 25. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming, and now is, when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. For just as the Father has life in himself, even so he gave to the Son also to have life in himself. And he gave him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Verse 28. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming in which all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and will come forth. Those who did the good deeds to a resurrection of life, those who committed the evil deeds to a resurrection of judgment. I can do nothing on my own initiative. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just, because I do not seek my own will, but the will of him who sent me. If I alone testify about myself, my testimony is not true. There is another who testifies of me, and I know that the testimony which he gives about me is true. So as I said, the discourse, the discussion that the Jews had with the Lord after the healing of the man who was sick on the Sabbath has literally opened floodgates of theology. From just this man being healed and taking up his pallet and walking on the Sabbath, we have been opened to very high and lofty theology about the person and work of the Son. The Jews are mad. They are seething with anger. They are mad at Jesus for having done a good deed on a Sabbath. And they want to get rid of him. The Jews want to get rid of him. And this is all happening in the context of the zeal that the Jews had for the law. They had a zeal for the law of God. But Apostle Paul 
would let us say that they have zeal not according to knowledge. So there is a zeal that is according to foolishness and a zeal that is according to knowledge. And the Lord Jesus Christ comes on the side of zeal according to knowledge. So the Lord sought to assert his authority over all the institutions of God. He has to assert and he has come to interpret and to teach and to fulfill and to show us that he has power over all the institutions of God. Whatever they represented is found in him. So he uses this encounter then to teach about how men get saved. He uses this encounter to teach us how men get saved by God. And he also tells us what happens at the end of things. That there is going to be a universal resurrection where all men are going to be resurrected. And in the resurrection, the Lord is going to judge and he is going to be the judge. And some are going to be judged to life and others are going to be judged to condemnation. And he says, these things are going to happen by my authority. It's going to happen by the authority or power of Jesus. So the Jews have gotten more than they had bargained for. Because this teaching is really high teaching. Even when you read this part of the chapter by yourself, you may not be able to extract the depth of what the Lord was teaching there. It requires our attention as the Lord was calling the Jews to his attention. We also have to pay attention to what the Lord is saying is the way for you to be resurrected to life because you need to be resurrected to life. You do not need heat. You do not need food. But you need to be resurrected to life on that day. Because you can die today, it does not matter. But as long as you are on the side of the resurrection that leads to life, then it is well with you. And that is why we do the things that we do, to continually teach you how to be counted among the righteous. So the Lord gives us the impression and understanding that he alone has been given the authority to deal and dispose of men, all men, as he pleases. As he pleases. And therefore, it is important for us to hear, to seek understanding of what is being said. Because the Lord has been given the authority to deal with you as he sees fit. So he says, he is arguing in the beginning about his authority to support the statements that he's going to make later on. 
he has argued and said he is God because he does the same things that he sees the Father doing. Who can make such a claim? Can I make a claim that I do all the things that I see God doing? Because if I have to make that claim, it means what? That I am able to see God. But John has told us in the beginning that no man has ever seen God except he who explained him. The one, the only begotten one who is in the bosom of the Father. He is the one who has revealed God. So if Christ then comes and makes a claim that he does all the things that he sees God the Father doing, is telling you that Christ has some eyes that are not ordinary. He is more than just the Son of Mary. There's more to him. And because of that, we have to listen to what he says. So in John 5, 17 to 18, he says, My father is working until now, and I myself am working. And he was telling them, if you still recall, that even though God rested on the seventh day, on the Sabbath, he rested from the works of creation, but as God all creation still requires his power to keep it functioning. And Jesus says, guess what? I do that. If the Father is working to keep all creation functioning, keeping the sun from getting into the earth or the earth hitting into the sun, he says, I do all that. So it's okay for me to work even on the Sabbath. And of course, we know John has told us that for this reason, the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. Because he not only was breaking the Sabbath, but also was calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. So the Lord intended by that statement to communicate to them and to us that he has authority to do what he does. Because he is God. And the Jews understood exactly what Jesus was claiming. They understood that Jesus was claiming to be God and to be equal with God. They understood that. And Jesus did not say, oh, I misspoke, by the way, I'm sorry. I have to correct my earlier statement. Jesus did not do that. He was actually very adamant. He was very, very adamant. So the Lord sought to lift the conversation to a much higher level. It's almost like what we had in John 3 when the Lord was talking with Nicodemus and said, well, if you don't understand these earthly things, how then can you understand heavenly things? The Lord is going to put the conversation in the highest of gears that he may teach them about his person and the work that the Father has given him or commissioned him to do. So the Lord says and reminds the Jews about what they knew about what God does. The Lord says some things that the Jews knew only God had power to do. 
He says, the father raises the dead and he gives life. And the father judges. The Jews knew exactly that only God had the power and the right to do that. But not only that. The son comes and he says, guess what? I do the same thing. I raise the dead to life and the father does not even judge anyone. All judgment has been given to me. So what is that saying, Jesus? Who are you? What are you claiming? They knew and they were hearing what Jesus was saying. Jesus was claiming to be God. So then, when Jesus makes these statements, he is also in the process defending himself and saying, if I do and see everything that my father does, it means I am doing everything according to the will of God. I cannot sin because I never do anything that my father is not also doing. My father and I are always in union and we are of the same mind with regards to everything. So your charge of me breaking the Sabbath is baseless and ignorant of who God is and of who I am. So in John 5.19, Therefore Jesus answered and was saying to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself unless it is something that he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, these things the Son also does in like manner. Whatever the Father does, not some of the things that the Father does. Whatever it is that God does, the Son says, I do them in like manner. The Son can never do anything that is not done in union with the Father. And because of that, the Jews claim that he was breaking the Sabbath was not correct, was ignorant and was baseless, as I said. And they thought they were doing God a huge favor by persecuting his son. And yet, by their very actions, we're in serious opposition to him. That is what happens with religion without knowledge. You think you are doing God a favor, and yet you find yourself opposing the very God that you think you are doing a favor. So the father loves the son, and because he loves the son, he has given the son to perform greater works. The son has been given the right and authority to perform greater works for the reason that all may be amazed at the son when God the father exiles the son. But the amazement is going to come also because of the nature and person of the son. The son is the son of man. He has been enjoined to human flesh. And no one in their mind ever thought that God would exalt such a man to the level of God. That he 
as a man also may grant life and judgment. They did not think that. And Jesus says, but that was always God's plan to exalt me this way that you may be amazed. So this one who is enjoined to human flesh, the one that John told us that he tabernacled with us, that he pitched his tent by taking up human flesh to himself, is the one who God the Father loves. He is the object of all the love and affection of God. And it is by him and through him that God is going to make all humanity, all humanity is going to marvel at Christ whether they like it or not when he enters into judgment with all humanity. So the father raises the dead. So the Lord here is building the background for us for his own work. He says the father raises the dead and gives them life. And the son also as God incarnate, as the son of God who is the God-man, has been given the authority to raise the dead to life. You see, the resurrection of man to life cannot happen by any other power. And this is why the Jews were getting in serious trouble when they were accusing the Lord Jesus for healing and raising people by the power of the devil. Because the resurrection of anybody to life cannot be by anybody who is not God. God himself has to do it. So he says, the son has been given the authority of God because he is God to raise the dead to life. But not only that, the authority that he possesses is a sovereign authority because he gives life not to everyone. He has already alluded to that in this passage earlier on, that he grants life to whomever he pleases. That's election. To whomever he pleases. And he has demonstrated that doctrine by the healing of the sick man from among the multitude of the blind and the lame. So he has already demonstrated that doctrine. So you see, these things are very intricately tied. There's a lot of theology that is being taught here. So the son also is saying, I am the sovereign one over life and death. And salvation then, as we learn from the scriptures, is by grace alone, in Christ alone, because this has the end of honoring the Son. Free will theology in salvation does not honor the Son, it honors the sinner. And because it honors the sinner, it's contrary to God's plan and purpose in Christ. So salvation is 100% of God, is of God alone and of Christ alone. They 
are the ones who determines who gets saved and who does not. And this is what Jesus is claiming to do. And as we know, men do not like to hear that. Men do not like to hear that God has the sovereign right to give life to some and bypass some. And this is that you may marvel as you exalt the grace of God in salvation. Because if salvation is a universal salvation, like the universalists would say, they are contrary to the teaching of Jesus. Because Jesus says, in the universal resurrection that's going to happen at the end of the ages, there are some who are going to be raised to life and others to condemnation. So universalism is not true. It's contrary to what the Lord himself understood these things to be. So not only that, not only that God raises the dead and gives them life, he also works in judgment. God alone works in judgment. And the Jews knew very clearly from the Old Testament, as we shall see from the book of Daniel, they knew very clearly that God had promised that there would be a universal resurrection. A universal resurrection where men will be raised to life and others will be re resurrected to everlasting judgment. So they knew about those things. But for them to hear it coming from this Jesus was very strange. It was very strange to hear it coming from the carpenter. We know this guy. He is a carpenter. And he is saying he's going to raise people from the dead to life. And he's going to enter into judgment. On whose authority? What's wrong with him? So the Son of Man is the one who has been given the authority to give life or to condemn. He is the mediator of life and death. Christ is the one who divides between life and death. He appoints to life or appoints to death. He divides between the Egyptians and the Israelites. And if you remember the story of the Egyptians and the Israelites, what divided them, what went between them, was not because the Israelites were good. What made the difference between the Egyptians, as far as judgment and salvation was concerned, was that there was a type of Christ that interposed, that went in between and covered the children of Israel. They had the Passover blood, the Lamb of God that had been appointed for them to put on the lentils of their doors. That is what made the difference. So essentially what that is saying is, it is Christ who is making the difference. It is the blood of the sacrifice that caused the Israelites to be passed over by God's judgment. But the Egyptians were what? They were judged to condemnation. And Pharaoh, especially, was judged to condemnation. And we see that the difference 
again, is in the mediation or the intercession of the type of Christ or the type of the blood of Jesus, already anticipating the coming of the true mediator, Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And we also see, see him on the cross. Jesus Christ is crucified and is right in between. He's right in between the two thieves. The two thieves were both condemned to die. There was no thief who was better than the other. And yet, as soon as Jesus gets in between them, one is given life and the other is separated to death. It's Christ who gets in between. So Jesus, again, is saying the same thing, that I am the one who stands in between life and death. I am the one who stands in between heaven and hell. It's him. So in John 5, verse 22 to 23, this is what he says. For not even the Father judges anyone, but he has given all judgment to the Son, so that all will honor the Son even as they honor the Father. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. So because the Father loves the Son, when we hear the words of the Lord, he says the reason why God does everything that he does, everything, is because he loves the Son. Is the love of God for Christ that is the driver of everything that happens in the universe. That's what is driving everything. It's not God's love for humans that is driving things. It's God's love for the Son that humans exist. It's God's love for the Son that salvation exists. So because the Father loves the Son, He has given Him the right to give life to anyone He loves and wishes as He healed only the sick man from among the multitude of the sick and the blind, the lame, and the paralyzed. So this is the condition of all human beings. There's no one who is doing any better than the other. The sick man did not look any easier to heal than the rest of them. Jesus did not come to the sick man and said, well, I think this one is looking better. I'm just going to bring some rubbing alcohol and put a band-aid on him and set him on his way. No, it would have taken the same commandment. It would have taken the same effort for Jesus to heal everybody who was there. It would not have taken him any more resources at all. If he so intended, everyone would have been healed. But he is demonstrating in a practical sense the spiritual reality of his authority and his sovereignty to grant life to whomever he pleases and bypasses others and yet still be okay with it. So the picture that we have at the pool was so that you and I would understand that God heals or serves people based on himself, based on his will, based on his doing. That's how salvation works. 
God only serves man according to his own will, according to his own good pleasure. If we are really talking about the God of the Bible and the Christ who says the kind of thing that he says here, that's the conclusion and the only conclusion that we can come to. So then the works of God with respect to the eternal state of mankind, the works of God with respect to the eternal state of mankind, of mankind are the resurrection of the dead and the giving of life or condemnation. Because there are a lot of people, very educated, foolish people, who want to tell us that when you die, you just die like a car dies when it runs out of power. And then that's the end of it. That you are just a mechanical being. But Jesus here says, no, 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 no. It doesn't work like that. There is actually a work that has to be done. God is not yet done with you. You are going to be judged. And in this judgment, one of two things is going to happen. You are either going to be resurrected to life or you are going to be condemned to a life of eternal judgment. And this is all that the Son may be honored. And if the Son is honored, the same as God the Father is honored, we are only left with one option, as we discussed last week. If God the Father agrees to he sharing his glory with the Son, it can only mean one thing about the Son, that the Son is worthy of the same glory and honor as the Father. And that can only make him God. You see, Jesus doesn't have to come and say, I am God. But even if he does that, people are not going to believe. Because he was saying that to the Jews. The Jews understood what Jesus was saying and people still did not believe that. So we see that even happening in our day. Prominent preachers are now saying, no, Jesus Christ is not God. Jesus Christ is not God. And I wonder what Bible, what book they are reading. And if when they read, whether they are understanding the claims of Jesus whether they are understanding the claims of Jesus. Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is the one through whom God is revealing himself and has revealed himself. For no one has seen the Father, Jesus said. No one has seen the Father. So if ever you are going to see God, you have to see Christ. You have to see Christ. And that brings us to some understanding about the work of salvation. Because when I talk to a lot of people, I'm always talking to a lot of people about salvation, about the gospel, about God. A lot of people have this impression of the gospel that anybody can just wish themselves into Christ and they'll be saved. That's their understanding. And that in this time, God is making a correction of an otherwise failed experiment that happened in the Garden of Eden.
that Jesus is plan B to what Adam did in the Garden of Eden. But as I always declare, salvation is not God's plan B. Has never been God's plan B. Salvation has always been God's plan A. The events of the Garden of Eden have always been plan A of God. Why? Because even as you are reading Genesis, the cross is in view. Even as you are reading the book of Genesis, the cross is in view. Christ is already in view. Why? Because God is already working us towards the coming of Christ and the glorification of Christ. So salvation, salvation is a work of honoring the Son. That's what we have to come to a conclusion. Salvation is a work of honoring the Son, and this was God's plan from before the foundation of the world. And since all power and authority has been given to the Son to grant life and judge all men, that he may be honored, he says in John 5, 24, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and does not come into judgment, but has passed out of death into life. He who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and does not come into judgment, but has passed out of death into life. That statement has a lot of things that are in there. Jesus is making a claim. A claim that is contrary to the teaching of the Old Testament. Because by this statement, Jesus is saying, you, you are going to pass out of death into life by believing in him without there being a resurrection and a judgment. Because in the Old Testament, there had to be a resurrection, then judgment, and then the pronouncement of whether you have life or not. Jesus comes and turns that on his head and says that he who hears my word and believes what I'm saying, they have right now, they possess eternal life. They have already passed from death to life. But what did the Old Testament say about the resurrection and life and judgment? Daniel 12, verses 1 to 3. Daniel 12, verses 1 to 3. Now at that time, Michael, the great prince who stands guard over the sons of your people, will arise, and there will be a time of distress such as never occurred since there was a nation until that time. And at that time, your people, everyone who is found written in the book will be rescued. Listen to verse 2. Many of those who sleep in the dust of the ground will awake, these to everlasting life, but the others to disgrace and everlasting contempt. 
Those who have insight, that is those who are wise, will shine brightly like the brightness of the expanse of heaven, and those who lead the many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. So Daniel here is already telling us about a universal resurrection that is going to happen. A universal resurrection that is going to happen. And yet Jesus comes and says, Oh, by the way, you don't even need to die and be resurrected again as to know your eternal state. You don't have to wait for God to count everything that you did. If you do my formula, if you believe in my formula, and my formula is if you hear my voice, and you believe in me, and you believe in the one who sent me, guess what? You have already resurrected to life. You have already passed from death to life. But where did Jesus get this authority? Where did Jesus get this authority to grant life before the resurrection of the dead? Where does he get the authority to make such a pronouncement before the actual resurrection has happened? Jesus gets this authority because he is God. And God the Father has given him authority over all things. He says now the judgment to life or condemnation is in the resurrection of one from the dead. But which resurrection? Which resurrection? Because in this chapter, he talks of two resurrections. Which resurrection? What resurrection? And which death? Because he's talking about death, he's talking about resurrection. There's a lot of things that are contained in those statements. There's a spiritual death and a physical death. There's a spiritual death and a physical death. When Adam sinned, he died right away. On the very day that they ate, they died spiritually. But he would not die physically until hundreds of years later. So there's a spiritual death and a physical death from which man need to be raised from. All men born after the first Adam are subject to both a spiritual and physical death without exception. And all shall be resurrected. All shall be resurrected, but not all are going to be resurrected spiritually. All men shall be resurrected, but not all shall experience the spiritual resurrection. The spiritual resurrection is the new birth. The spiritual resurrection is the new birth. And this is only granted by grace to those that the Father has given to Christ. It is only for the elect. The spiritual resurrection, the new birth is only for the church of Christ. So the new birth, the new birth is the resurrection of one from their spiritual death. And it is this spiritual resurrection 
that enables one to believe in Jesus. And the Lord says, the one who believes in him has eternal life. Those who are not chosen in Christ do not get resurrected spiritually so as to attain the blessedness that is in Christ. They are resurrected one time only. Those who are not in Christ are resurrected one time only, and that is for eternal judgment. That is for eternal damnation. That is for eternal condemnation. It is a fact of Scripture that one cannot attain to eternal life without a spiritual resurrection first. There has to be. There has to be a spiritual resurrection in this life or else you are not going to have the resurrection of life in the next resurrection. We're going to work this. We're going to work this because it's so beautiful. So Jesus, Jesus cannot be granting life now. Because remember what Jesus has said. He says, if you believe in him right now, you are as good as judged. That's what he said. He said, if you believe in me, you are as good as judged. All judgment has already happened on you. How is it that a simple act of faith by crystal changes her eternal state? Just a simple statement of fact. Because if we have to just go through the things that she has done in this life, it won't be 2020 before we are done. Talking about every idle word. Remember what the Lord Jesus said. He said every idle word that you ever spoke is going to be brought to judgment. Every idol. And yet he says, if you just believe, you are a good as judged. What is happening? How can Christ be granting life now before the resurrection has happened unless some kind of resurrection and judgment has already happened or is assumed, or is in view. For those who are in Christ, the Lord has in view his own death. His own death is his judgment. But his death and judgment are not because of him, but is because of you who are in Christ. And he also has in view his resurrection. Because remember, life cannot be granted before judgment and resurrection. So if the Lord is making this statement, he has in view his own death and resurrection. His own death and resurrection on the cross. And now, this is the basis and can only be the basis because it is the only death and resurrection that ever happened. 
So this can only be the basis of the first installment of the spiritual resurrection. So what I want you to see here is that judgment and resurrection and life is given in two installments. There's a, an initial deposit. There's an initial installment that is given to those who are in Christ by the new birth. And it is this initial deposit that is reckoned in the second resurrection when you get your full resurrection. We're going to wake this. You're going to see it. So in John 3, the Lord connected Nicodemus' need of a new birth. How? The Lord connected Nicodemus' need of a spiritual resurrection with the cross. The Lord connected the spiritual resurrection, the new birth, you must be born again with the cross. With the cross. So the cross is central. The cross of Christ is central to your judgment and resurrection to life. And the events on the cross are what determines whether you right now have the first installment of the resurrection to life or not. You got to hear that. This is what happened. When you are given a new birth, when you are given a new birth, that's the first installment of the resurrection. Because I'm going to develop for you and connect the statement by the Lord when he says, the hour is coming, but now is. Those are two time periods. When you're going to have an initial deposit of your resurrection and then the consummation of that resurrection in the final resurrection. Listen to this. In John 1, verse 11 to 13, this is what John says. He came to his own and those who were his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So the resurrection of a person, the resurrection of a person that lives to life has to happen from above. It is not by blood, which means it is not by inheritance or ancestry. And it is not by the will of the flesh or the will of man, but of God. So to have faith in Christ, to have faith in Christ is a work of resurrection of the dead. To have faith in Christ is a work of resurrection of of a dead spirit. And as the scriptures here declare, they say, this is not in your power to accomplish. Your free will does not matter when it comes to salvation because that is not even what is driving anything when it comes to salvation. You must be born again 
now and in this life. If you have to possess the life of Christ in the resurrection to come. But listen to this. Those that the Son determined to give life, he grants a spiritual resurrection in this life. The one that Christ has determined to serve, he grants life in this life. And the evidence that one has been granted the resurrection to life is that they believe in Jesus. That is how Jesus is developing the understanding for us. He is saying, if you want to know whether you have life or not, you believe in me and you have life. And if you don't, the wrath of God still abides on you. So if you're looking to see if it is well with you, it's not in everything that you do. Jesus did not put a whole lot of conditions. He just said, if you want to know whether you are going to be condemned forever, it depends only on what you say about me. Do you believe in my person? Do you believe in me? And if you do, it's not just for believing sake. It's actually your judgment. When you believe in me, you are as good as judged. God sees you as righteous. So the one that believes in Christ shall not come into judgment of condemnation. Why? Because their deeds were already judged as righteous and good in Christ. Christ, when he was on the cross, he went there to be judged on your behalf. And when Christ was resurrected, he was resurrected on your behalf. Whatever Christ did, he was not doing it for himself, he was doing it for you. And that is the basis on which he can come and say, if you believe in me, Guess what? You've already passed from death to life. So the one who believes on the Son appropriates to themselves. That is, they take to themselves the righteous works of Christ. And on the basis of their faith in Christ, God immediately grants them everlasting life. That's the gospel. God grants them everlasting life. So as you are walking and believing in Christ, guess what you possess? You possess everlasting life. You possess everlasting life. Now, listen again to our text. Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and now is. When the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. For just as the Father has life in himself, even so he gave to the Son also to have life in himself. And he gave him authority to execute judgment, because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming in which all who are in the tombs will hear his voice. And will come forth. Those who did the good deeds to a resurrection of life. Those who committed the evil deeds 
to a resurrection of judgment. I can do nothing on my own initiative. As I hear, I judge. And my judgment is just because I do not seek my own will, but the will of him who sent me. So the Lord continues in his discourse. And he says, truly, truly. That's the formula that I explained. That this is saying, you have to hear this. You have to pay attention to this. Most assuredly, I say to you, an hour is coming and now is when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God. Listen to whose voice? It's the voice of the Son of God. It's not the voice of anybody else. And those who hear will live. An hour is coming and now is. is an expression that the Lord uses, if you remember, in John 4 with the Samaritan woman. When the woman was trying to enter into an argument, a theological argument with the Lord, and the Lord said to her, Woman, believe me, an hour is coming when neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know. For salvation is from the Jews. But an hour is coming and now is. When the true worshippers worship the Father in spirit and truth. So what are we to understand about that expression? Because I think it's very fundamental for us to understand what the Lord is connecting for us here. Listen to this. This expression, an hour is coming and now is, has a twofold understanding of the same kind of work. Or activity. It anticipates the initial installment of a work that will be started the first phase in the first phase and then completed in the second phase. We have two time periods here. We have the period that now is and the period that is coming. Now is the hour and the hour is coming. And now is. So there are two time periods, but they are interconnected. If men have to worship the Father in truth and spirit, they have to begin in the now time. If they have to complete it in the time that's coming. And when it comes to judgment, now is the time that you enter for your first installment. In this hour, you believe in Christ. You have entered into the now is time. And your now is time is what directs you to what happens in the hour that is coming. See? So the first installment determines the outcome of the second installment. The first installment determines the outcome of the second installment so that in the hour that is, the hour that is now, the time that is now, the ones who are dead now, but who hear his voice, will live in the time that is coming. They will live in the time that is coming. In the future judgment. In the future judgment. So the one who remains dead in this hour, 
the one who remains dead in this hour is guaranteed of a resurrection to death in the second hour. The one who is born again in this hour is guaranteed to a resurrection of life in the second hour. So now is the time that you also can walk and pass from death to life. And because of that, you will be guaranteed. The only guarantee that I'll ever see you, I'll ever see you, is if you belong to, if you have had the experience of the first installment of the resurrection, that is the new birth. It is your confession of Jesus now that matters. That's the only hope that you and everybody here will ever be together. If we have a wrong confession of Jesus, guess what? We are going to go into separate ways. But God determined that this is the way by which one is to attain everlasting life. This is the way that God determined. God here is already doing a lot of multitasking ahead of time. Okay, he is not waiting for you to be judged because he says, if you belong to Christ, I'm already done with that. I have completed that work. You're already judged. You have already passed from death to life. So what we see also is that we have here the first Adam and the second Adam. If you remain in the first Adam alone, you are guaranteed of death in the second resurrection. You are guaranteed. But if you are in the second Adam, you are guaranteed of life in the resurrection to come. So then it matters in which of the two Adams you are in before they close your grave. It matters which Adam you are in. The dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God. And those that hear are the ones who shall live. The ones who hear are the ones who shall live. The Son of God shall speak a command as he spoke to Lazarus. As he spoke to the man with the withered hand, as he spoke to the man who was sick, and they had the voice of the Son of God. Lazarus had the voice of the Son of God, and what happened to him? He rose. He rose from the dead. And those who are spiritually dead. Those who are in the tombs spiritually with the grave clothes of the first Adam who hear the voice of the Son of God. So the only way that you came to the confession of Christ as the Son of God and as Lord and Savior is because Christ actually spoke. If Christ does not speak, you're not coming. The dead shall hear. How do the dead hear? How can a dead person hear? They can't hear unless they are resurrected to life. So all of us were dead. 
And we are only here confessing Christ because we had the call of the master. We had the voice of the master. And he called and spoke life and light into our hearts. The hearts of sinful men and quickened us to life. And it is those who have had this call. Because that statement assumes that not all are going to hear the call. Just as when the Lord healed the sick man by the pool, there were people there, but they did not hear what was said. As the Lord called on Lazarus, all the people who were dead around the area that Lazarus was buried, they did not hear the command of the Lord. Only Lazarus had the command of the Lord. So the command of the Lord, the voice of the Lord is very specific. It's always specific. It's always specific. But a time is coming in the universal resurrection when he is going to issue just one command that is a universal command. A, a command like the command in Genesis, let there be light and there was light without exception. So he is going to issue another command that is going to re resurrect all men to life. But not all are going to attain to everlasting life. It's only those who were resurrected before they died. Who were resurrected spiritually before they died who are going to be resurrected for life in the resurrection to come. So the Lord says, For just as the Father has life in himself, even so he gave the son also to have life in himself and he gave him authority to execute judgment because he is the son of man the lord here repeats the statements that he said earlier he reminds the jews of who god is and the works of god and the prerogatives of god and says remember it's god who gives life it's god who resurrects people to life it's god who judges? But guess what? I also have life in myself. I have the same life as God possesses. And I have also been given, I've been given the authority, the power to judge. So they understood that God has life that is not derived from anybody like that of creatures. So Jesus is saying, I am not a creature. I have the same kind of life as God has. All creatures derive their being and life from God. And I am not a creature. I have the same kind of life that God has in me. But the Lord says, God possesses indestructible life. And I too possesses this kind of life. So I'm saying, I am God. I am deity. This is a statement of saying, I am God. And if you cannot come to this conclusion, in your reading of John especially, then you are not born again. You are not born again because the whole idea of being born again is this. Listen to how the Lord is connecting all these things. These statements, they are not disconnected 
from the introduction in John 1. They're not disconnected from John 2, the water to wine. They are not disconnected from John 3, you must be born again. They are not disconnected from John 4, the living water. These statements are saying the same thing about Christ and his work. He is saying, I possess life. And you as fallen creatures don't possess life. And if you have to know anything about God, you need to be born again. And if you are born again, you can't know anything about God if you do not know anything about me. So the purpose of being born again, first and foremost, is so that you apprehend Christ. That is the purpose of being born again. When you are born again, then you have the spiritual eyes and ears to see Christ and to hear Christ. And when you hear Christ and you see Christ, you believe upon him. And when you believe upon him, you have eternal life. So, you can't say you are born again and not have the true Christ. As far as God wants us to know about Christ in the text, the evidence that you are born again is that you have a true confession of the person and the work of Christ. If you believe anything else, then you are not born again. You are not just mistaken because the scriptures are very plain to declare this. Not one time, not two times, but over and over that you must be born again. And when you are born again, you know who Christ is. So Jesus says, he has power in himself because he's the son of man. Let's just briefly talk about the title, son of man, because when you read the Gospels, you hear Jesus. He actually loved that title. He loved to call himself the son of man. That's a messianic title. The son of man is a messianic title. Jesus is drawing the Jews to Daniel. The Jews know about Daniel. They know about Daniel 7. They know of a person who is called the son of man who is dressed in glory. In Daniel 7, Daniel 7, 13 and 14, this is what he says. He says, I kept looking in the night visions and behold with the clouds of heaven, one like a son of man was coming. And he came up to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom, that all the peoples, nations, and men of every language might serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which will not pass away, and his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. So that's the Son of Man. That's the title that Jesus comes and appropriates to himself. And it is the same Son of Man that John the Apostle saw in Revelation 14, 14. He says, Then I looked and behold a white cloud, and on the cloud sat one like the Son of Man, having on his head a golden crown, and in his hand 
a sharp sickle. And we hear again the testimony of John on the island of Patmos in Revelation 1. Listen to this. Uh, Revelation 1, 12 to 18, he says, Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking with me, and having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the middle of the lampstands, I saw one like a son of man, clothed in a robe, reaching to the feet, and girded across his chest with a golden sash. His head and his hair were white like white wool, like snow, and his eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, when it, has, when it has been made to glow in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of many waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and out of his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in its strength. When I saw him, I fell at his feet like a dead man, and he placed his right hand on me, saying, Do not be afraid. Listen now to who the Son of Man is. Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last and the living one. And I was dead and behold, I am alive forevermore. And I have the keys of death and of hate. So it's right falls into our teaching. That's the son of man. So the son of man is a messianic title. It is the title of the Messiah who is the son of God? Who took human flesh? And he did that, that he may establish an everlasting kingdom, as we heard from Daniel. So to be the Messiah is to possess the power and authority of God to execute judgment, but not only that, to also establish an everlasting kingdom. And for him to be able to execute these things, it assumes that he possesses wisdom. He possesses knowledge of all the deeds of all men. He has understanding. He has omnipotent power. He has righteousness that everything may be done justly according to God's will. And this cannot be done by an exalted angel. This cannot be done by an exalted angel. This can only be done by one who is God and one who is a sinless man, the God-man, Jesus Christ, the Son of Man. Now this Son of Man speaks as one who holds this office because to be the Messiah is an office. It's a title to, a, to the office because remember even John the Baptist, he says there's one who stands among you whom we do not know? He baptizes with the Spirit and fire. He baptizes. He baptizes. So he's saying the Messiah has the office of baptism with the Holy Spirit and fire. It is the work of the Messiah alone who is the Son of Man who does these things. And he says, these are all things that have been done that you may marvel. So he says, again, uh, John 5, 20, 29, as we work our way to the end. Do not marvel at this. For an hour is coming in which all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and will come forth. 
Those who did the good deeds to a resurrection of life. Those who committed the evil deeds to a resurrection of judgment. What? Who did the good deeds to a resurrection of life. And those who committed the evil deeds to a resurrection of judgment. How is that possible? How is that possible? Because it seems like, it seems like Jesus is saying eternal life now depends on your good deeds. How are we to understand that statement? Those who did the good deeds, what good deeds? Is Jesus now preaching a gospel of works? Is the Lord now preaching a gospel of works? What is happening? The good deeds are the ones that are done in faith. The ones who believe in Christ are reckoned as having done the righteous and good deeds in Christ. Those are the good deeds. And if you remember, what did Jesus say about the work of God? He said, the work of God is to believe in him whom he sent. The teaching of the Lord about how you attain salvation is clear and consistent. In John 3.36, we are told, he who believes in the Son has eternal life. So faith is the basis. Faith in the Son is the basis of eternal life. And he who does not believe, so the basis of condemnation or life is on what you say or in what you say about Christ. You believe in Christ, life. You don't believe in Christ, judgment. So the work of God as to attain life is not that you have to keep working now. It's saying the ones who have believed in Christ and the works that Christ has done on their behalf. Those are the good deeds that are imputed to them as good deeds. The good deeds of Christ are possessed by faith. And these are the basis on which God judges you as righteous. And those who deny Christ, those who deny the gospel, they are judged as unrighteous. They are judged as unrighteous because according to Apostle Paul in 2 Thessalonians, he says, those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ shall be paid with the penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. So the basis of condemnation of the people who get condemned is not because they were unrighteous. It's because they denied Christ and the gospel. Because we too were like them. For such were some of you. Right? That's what Apostle Paul says. For such were some of you, but you were cleansed, you were sanctified. We were cleansed and sanctified. So this is where we are. This is where we are. This is what the Lord is saying to you and I today as we close. He wants you to know this.
from verse 25 and 29 of John 5. This is a statement of fact. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming. It's coming. But he says that hour is also now. When the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. The ones who hear, not the ones who work, not the ones who tithe, not the ones who are faithful in whatever else foolishness they do. He says the ones who hear the voice of the Son of God will live. For an hour is coming in which all who are in the tombs will hear his voice. But listen also to verse 29. And will come forth those who did the good deeds to a resurrection of life, those who committed the evil deeds to a resurrection of judgment. What is Jesus saying? The Lord is saying it matters what you say and believe about him. It matters. He is saying you are not entitled to your own opinion of his person and his work. He says if your opinion of him is less than God, he has nothing to do with you. Your, if your opinion of Jesus Christ is less than that he is equal to God and that he is God, he says, I have nothing to do with you. And because I have nothing to do with you, in the resurrection that is coming, you are going to be condemned. So you see, the person of Christ is very, very important to our gospel. Who Christ is, is central to our message of the gospel and the hope that we preach. If anyone dies today believing in a false Jesus, they will not be saved. You can't be saved by a false Jesus because a false Jesus does not exist to save anyone. We can't hold to a low view of Jesus than what the scriptures have given us. There are many churches and many pastors out there who deny that Christ is God. It doesn't matter what the pastor says. It doesn't matter the tradition of that church. What matters is, is Jesus from his statements actually claiming to be God? And if he is claiming to be God, my opinion does not matter. If he is claiming to be God, the opinion of this celebrity pastor doesn't matter. What matters is what you say about him. Because if you say the right things about Christ, he says, guess what? You've passed from death unto life. And that's the beauty of the gospel. Let's go before the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we come before your throne again. Lord, to praise you and worship you. We thank you, Lord, for the teaching from the Lord. Many, many, many things that we cannot pick apart in just one sermon. Many words that require a lot of understanding. And Lord, I pray that you will bring to remembrance one or two things of all that was said today. And if anything, Lord, to give your people the sure testimony that Christ is indeed your son. And not only that, that he is God in the flesh. And 
because you love him with an everlasting love, you have given him all peoples and nations that he may grant life to as many as he pleases. And we thank you, Lord, that he was pleased to grant life to his church, to his people. And we pray that his people will be united in the same confession of the person and work of Christ. That by believing in him, we all who are in Christ have attained to the resurrection, to life. And we shall never see death. We shall never see death. And this is the hope and glory of the gospel. And we pray and thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness in keeping us. And now we pray for your people as they go out. May you keep them in this weather, this winter weather, the driving and the cold and the sickness. Lord, may you guard them. We pray and thank you for this day. May you be with us in all things. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.